And now I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. Spirit of life giving love and love giving life. Spirit of life in its fullest. Life in each moment at its fullest. Be with us as we find our way through the autumn as the leaves fall from the trees, as the clutter disappears from our vision so that we might see clearly to the essence of who we are and what it is that we are here to do. In the spirit of community, in the spirit of life, we ask that we might be healed and made more whole where we are sickened and find ourselves wanting of wholeness. May we be blessed by such healing that we too might be agents, agents of that healing in the world around us. Let us hold this moment together in quiet. Amen. We have two readings this morning, both of them from our modern era. The first is from poet Marge Piercy, entitled October Nor'easter. Leaves, leaves rip from the trees, still green as rain scuds, off the ocean in broad gray. Scimitars of, war, of water hard as granite pebbles flung in my face. Sometimes my days are torn from the calendar, hardly touched and gone like leaves too fresh, still to falling littering, sodden on the bricks. But I have had them, torrent of days. Who am I to complain they shorten? I used them hard, wore them out and down, grabbed at what chance offered. If I stand stripped and bare, my bones still shine like opals, where love rubs sweetly hard against them. The second is The True Joy in Life by poet and playwright George Bernard Shaw. This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do, it, do for it what I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It's a sort of splendid torch, which I've got to hold up for the moment. And, to want, and I want to make, make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to the future generations. 
I don't believe that I've ever felt inspired by the time change from daylight savings time to standard time, or vice versa, inspired to explore within the context of worship the symbols and the metaphors embedded within the changing of the clocks and the transition of the season that is represented in that changing of the clocks. This time around, though, for some reason, and it might be because I'm getting older, that I, I think about time more often than I do when I was younger, and so this time around the changing of the clocks has kind of grabbed my attention. Perhaps it's caught yours as well, and oh, by the way, I would just want you to know that you're getting older too. <laughs> so on my semi-annual walk around the house to change all the clocks and then try to remember just how it is that you change the clock in the car, when I'm doing all of those things, my response is that I just wish they would leave time alone. The idea that time actually changes is an illusion anyway. The time remains the same, only what we call it changes. The illusion works, though, because we all agree to it. At 2 o'clock this morning, we were all told and we agreed that it was 1 o'clock. That sort of diminishes the meaning of time, don't you think? Sort of makes you wonder. It makes me wonder if time itself is real or if it is only an illusion. Thor Heyerdahl, the Norwegian ethnographer and adventurer, wrote, I've never been able to grasp the meaning of time. I don't believe it exists. I've felt this again and again when alone out in nature. On such occasions, time does not exist. One of my favorite songs in the world, Delicate Balance, written by a Chicago songwriter, Tom Dundee, defines time this way. Deep within, there's a feeling that time is nothing but space, and between every minute and mile that is in it, somehow there is a beautiful place. Somehow there is a beautiful place. There is an assumption that I embrace in Tom Dundee's sentiment. The assumption is that being has greater value, is, is more beautiful than not being. I suppose that not being has its place too, at least theoretically, but being, being has its place not only theoretically, but actually. We are here. And we can be grateful for that. Being human allows us to look upon being, to look upon all that is. It allows us to appreciate the act of looking, the ability to perceive what is, as well as to appreciate the object, what it is that we are looking upon. Our lifetime is this beautiful space we've been given by the unfolding, ever-expanding universe in which our being, our being, unfolds and expands within all of this infinite beauty. Between every minute and mile that is in it, somehow there is a beautiful place. However we might think of time, we also experience it as a a kind of vehicle, one that transports us from what has been to the present and then from the present into the future. It carries us through space from where we have been to where we are now and then from where we are to where it is we are still going. Time is the medium into which the narrative of our lives is etched. Time is an agitator and it is the balm that heals all wounds. One of the great poets of the last century, Carl Sandburg, wrote, Time is the coin of your life. It is the only coin you have, 
and only you can determine how to spend it. Be careful, he says. Be careful lest you let other people spend it for you. And so we have it from one who gave the subject deep consideration that time is our most prized currency in life. Time is the distance that we travel from birth to death that provides the canvas of consciousness upon which we paint the palette of our existence. It is the distance that we travel from our beginning to our end. That's the time of our life. Time is what we have been given. It provides the context of our being at least as much as we can understand or apprehend that context through our so very human perceptions of it. The context is the given and the content, that which gives color and texture, that which gives meaning to our existence. The content is what we gather up within the time of our lives. We might think that we can waste time, suggests author Alice Block, but that is impossible. She tells us what we waste is ourselves. Time is arbitrary, and it is the universal undercurrent of all that is. It undulates, now diminishing, now in augmentation. Time is space, and so it is the distance, some say even the longest distance, between any two points. Time is the vehicle in which we have movement from then to now to then again, from here, from there to here to there. It is the currency of our lives. It is the medium, the agency in which we redeem ourselves and one another. It is the space and the place which each of us has been given for finding and making meaning through the ways in which we redeem time, by making connections, by extending ourselves for love, the love of self, the love of others, the love of our planet. There's an inscription of unknown origin on the campus of the University of Virginia. Some of you may be familiar with a few of the phrases in it because there was a a California rock band a few years ago who borrowed from this uh, saying, a a band by the name of It's a Beautiful Day. Any, Any It's a Beautiful Day fans besides myself, Lee? I'm so glad to have you here. They they were wonderful. But, But the full inscription in Charlottesville reads this way. Time is too slow for those who wait, too swift for those who fear, too long for those who grieve, too short for those who rejoice. But for those who love, time is eternity. Hours fly, flowers die, new days, new ways pass by. Love stays. Love stays. I remember well an event that took place in this very room precisely 18 years ago on this Tuesday. It was November the 4th, 1995. It was the installation ceremony by which this congregation and this minister formally merged our ministries into a singular path that we would follow together from that moment in time until some unknown moment yet in the future. My very good friend and colleague, Joan Montagnus, was one of the speakers that evening. She began by taking the the walking microphone, and, and she began by asking the members and the guests and the participants and me, all who had gathered for the occasion, asking, so, what are you doing here? It got people's attention. What are you doing here? What is it that you have come here to do? 
Tonight, yes, but not just tonight. What is it that you are here to do every night? What is it that you are here to do every day, she asked. And what Joan was asking in that moment was, what was the ministry all of you have come to this congregation to share, and how do you intend to hold up your part of that ministry? And then in a larger sense, she was asking, what is it that you have come to do with your life, and how will you choose to accomplish that? I so vividly remember Joan asking those questions because they've been questions that have lived with me ever since and that I've held on to and brought to mind time after time. What is the ministry that I have come here to do? And more, what is the life that I am here to live? Asking myself those questions every now and then has been so helpful in gaining and regaining a sense of purpose and direction in my ministry and in my life, especially when my focus has been something less than steadfast. Another woman in Unitarian history, Eleanor Gordon, one of my favorites from history, her ministry was out in the Midwest in the late 19th century, and she also spoke words that have stayed with me throughout my ministry. Some 100 years before Joan Montagnus spoke here in our sanctuary, Eleanor Gordon put this challenge to the people of her time in her congregation out in Iowa, and she puts it to us as well. She prophetically claimed that we are given life in order to find its meaning. We are given life to find its meaning. The meaning of our lives is far too complex to be summarized in one grand overarching theme. Perhaps historians could do that for us in some future time in retrospect, but we must discover that meaning hour by hour and day by day. Hours fly, flowers die, new days, new ways pass by. Love stays. Love stays. If time provides us the gift of our lifetime to make use of that time, to redeem it is to give it over to love. Indeed, it is love that stays. We might look out the window this morning onto a a wonderfully gray autumn morning. No rain, really. No snow, really. No heavy winds, really. But this past week, we marked the passage one year since we were visited by Superstorm Sandy. Say that really fast. A lot of people not very far from here died in that storm, or they were injured, or they lost loved ones, or perhaps they lost their home. More locally, the losses were not quite so great much more of an inconvenience, really. Still, we all felt the impact of that storm. And for me, in some ways, that event a year ago was reminiscent of yet another experience of even greater disaster that occurred on September 11th, 2001. Both of those events came as a great surprise to all of us. Both were devastating in so many ways. Both of them invoked the feeling of a sudden loss of life and of property, but in particularly the loss of, of certainty and the loss of confidence and, and a loss of security. Some of our responses to both of those events were idiotic, particularly on the part of our government. Twelve years later, we continue to be involved in wars for which there never was a cause. One year later, people in New York and New Jersey continue to be the pawns in a political game that leaves those storm victims living on the very edge of subsistence even still, needlessly, needlessly. 
But there were other responses to both of those events, Sandy and 9-11, responses that represent the kind of humane and compassionate values that religious people of any stripe might hope would provide our brightest light in our darkest hours. People everywhere, no matter their own loss, reached out in support of others, others both known and unknown. They sent or brought supplies and money. They sent or brought muscle and heart. A sentiment that I heard over and over so many times and from so many people in the midst of and in the aftermath of both of those events was this. It really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? It really reminds you of what's really important, doesn't it? How many of you said those things? Love stays. Love stays. To a great extent, time stood still during those events. To a great extent, that expanded sense of time, even while it was besieged by pain and suffering, that time was filled by individuals and communities redeeming their own sense of loss by fulfilling greater opportunities for love, greater opportunities for their own participation in love, greater opportunities for their own growing sense of purpose and meaning through the gift of love. Author Eudora Alice Welty wrote, events in our lives happen in a sequence in time, but in their significance to ourselves, they find their own order in the continuous thread of revelation. Here's the thing. It may appear as though this morning we were given an extra hour by the switch to standard time. The truth is, though, no one no one can give us any hour or take any hour away from us. Those hours belong to us already in the first place. They were given to us by life, and it is up to each of us to redeem them hour by hour, day by day, and then eventually, lifetime by lifetime. We can fail to notice just how essential each of those hours are to each of us until we are in the midst of a devastating experience. We often do that. Or maybe we can give ourselves little reminders along the way, reminders like changing the clocks every now and then. Maybe we can give ourselves little reminders that say, hey, this is it. This is it. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this one precious hour? What are you going to do with this one precious day? What are you going to do with your precious lifetime? Sometimes our days are torn from the calendar, as Marge Piercy suggests, hardly touched. Other times they are torn away from the calendar, having been touched so very harshly. Either way, and in all other ways, the possibility of joy still lies before us when, as George Bernard Shaw says, we use the time that we have been given for purposes that are large and mighty enough so as to be worthy of this, the time of our lives. We are here together in the present at the crossroads of time. We are here at this junction between what has been and what will be. And so I ask you now, what are you here to do? What is here for you to do? Whatever it is, this, this is the time of your life to claim that, to begin it, to redeem it. This is the time of your life to live it. May each of us, then, come to recognize our purpose as a mighty one in the service of the largest good, in the service of all that is, in the service of that which we hold 
most holy. May it be so. May it be so. Our closing words this morning by W.E.B. Du Bois. Now is the accepted time, not tomorrow, not some more convenient season. It is today that our best work can be done and not some future day or future year. It is today that we fit ourselves for the greater usefulness of tomorrow. Today is the seed time. Now are the hours of work, and tomorrow comes the harvest and the playtime.